So Proverbs 28, verses 13 and 14. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. May the Lord bless the reading and exposition of his word. Now, there's one main question that I want you to consider this evening. Will you choose prosperity or will you choose calamity? So prosperity or calamity. But let me begin with a tale, uh, two tales of pirates. In 75 BC, as Plutarch tells the story, pirates captured a young Roman nobleman who was trying to get to the island of Rhodes in order to study oratory. They told him that they had set his ransom at 20 talents. Well, my back of the envelope calculation is that one single talent is worth over $2 million today. So that was not an insignificant sum. But the nobleman laughed at the ransom price and told them that they should set the ransom at at least 50 talents or $100 million in today's dollars. And, um, and they did so. Now, according to Plutarch, the nobleman actually, while he was being held captive, never uh, received treatment as though he was a captive. In fact, he bossed them around. He told them that they should be quiet when he wanted to sleep because he was on the way to Rhodes and now had unexpected uh, time on his hands. He would actually write speeches and deliver it to the pirates. And if they didn't uh, you know, fully appreciate his rhetorical genius, he would berate them as ignoramuses. Now, occasionally, he also said that when he was ransomed, he would raise a navy, come back to their hideout, and have them all crucified. And they laughed. After 38 days, the ransom was delivered. And the young Roman nobleman, known today as Julius Caesar, raised a navy, even though he had no official capacity in the navy. He captured all the pirates, and he had them crucified. That's the first pirate story. The second concerns Edward Teach, an English pirate who sailed the Caribbean. According to the 1724 book, A General History of the robberies and murders of the most notorious pirates, the author of which is still unknown to this day. According to the book, Teach's beard was black, which he suffered to grow to an extravagant length. As to breadth, it came up to his eyes. He was accustomed to twist it with ribbons and small tails. And so he was called Blackbeard for, quote, that large quantity of hair which, like a frightful meteor, covered his whole face and frightened America more than any comet that has appeared there a long time. Now, you may have heard of Blackbeard. What you may not know is that Blackbeard was pardoned by Charles Eden, one of North Carolina's first governors, in the summer of 1718. 
Blackbeard had heard of a general pardon and took advantage of it, he turned himself in to Governor Eden and received a king's pardon. But old pirate habits die hard. So, spoiler alert, Blackbeard returned to his piratical ways, and so it fell upon Lieutenant Robert Maynard of the Royal Navy to catch up with Blackbeard and his band on November 22nd. The battle ended with Maynard and Blackbeard actually fighting in hand-to-hand combat, and Maynard won, and Blackbeard died. Now, why in the world do I have two pirate stories? Well, obviously, first of all, because pirate stories are cool. But most pressingly, because in these two stories, we see how, on the one hand, we can laugh at threats to come, assuming that they're ridiculous. Sure, you're going to raise an army, a navy, and and get us all crucified. So that's one warning. The second warning from Blackbeard is you can turn yourself in and get a pardon. But if you do so, you better forsake your piratical ways. So the one main question that I want us to consider is, will you choose prosperity or calamity? Now, just some more prolegomenon here at the start, right? If you hear the word prosperity, you may think of money. You may just, you know, he's prosperous while he's got a lot of money. But the Bible understands prosperity in a very different way. Think of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says that the man who who fears the Lord, what he, he, uh, in all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. And to what does the psalmist compare this man and all that he does, he prospers? He's like a tree. He's like a tree planted by flowing streams, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. The picture that the Bible has of someone who is prosperous is someone who is flourishing, someone who is properly functioning. You're a majestic oak. You're not a wilted flower. Now, when when Proverbs 28 then talks about prosperity, it's not health and wealth, though some may try to, false teachers will want you to believe that. It's, It's so much more extravagant than that. We all have heard of Or we know people who are pictures of health. They have uh, riches everywhere, and yet they are miserable. We also know people who soldier on in the face of physical challenges, who don't have a lot of money, and yet they have the joy of the Lord. So prosperity here in Proverbs 28, in keeping with the biblical picture of prosperity, is not just health and wealth. Now, if we think wrongly about the word prosperity, we can also think about the word calamity in mistaken ways. If I hear the word calamity, I think of natural disasters. So Proverbs 28 talks about um, 
you know, uh, falling into calamity. That sounds like a big earthquake and, you know, sucked your car uh, down into oblivion or something. But the phrase that's used here for uh, calamity is actually just the everyday word for bad. It can mean unpleasant if it's referring to food. It could mean um, harm if we're talking about something that could hurt us. Or it could mean evil if we're talking about something that's morally bad. This is why the English Standard Version that I read from, I think, uses the word calamity because it, it kind of bridges the, the gap between something that is a natural disaster type harm versus a, a wickedness that you do. So calamity is not just about natural disaster. That's the thing that you need to think about. And it, it's um, everything bad that could happen to you. So the question is, will you choose prosperity or calamity? Now, in answering the one main question, I've got two subsidiary questions. Um, The first from verse 13 is, will you conceal your sins or will you confess them? So will you conceal or will you confess? Will you openly acknowledge the wrongs that you have done or will you hide? That's the first question. Second, from verse 14, will you honor the Lord? The text says fear. But as we'll talk about in a moment, I think honor is a nice way of thinking about it. Or will you harden your heart? So the two questions are conceal or confess and honor or harden. And all along the way, the background question, the overarching question is prosperity or calamity. And the single takeaway message is choose life. Choose life, choose prosperity, choose flourishing in the Lord. Okay, so first, conceal or confess. Conceal or confess. Will you openly acknowledge the wrongs that you have done or will you hide the wickedness that you've done? We may think, we may think that concealment is the way forward. After all, this is what's modeled for us by, it seems, all of our politicians and movie stars, right? People are caught in egregious wrongdoing. It's an open and shut case. And nevertheless, they say, as Richard Nixon said 50 years ago, this November 17th, I am not a crook. Well, he resigned the following year. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. This is in contrast to... Uh, A psalm of David, Psalm 32. Listen to David's words. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He who confesses and forsakes sin will obtain mercy. You may know better than I that a member of the Nixon administration was Chuck Colson, who was the first member of the Nixon administration who was incarcerated. 
between his indictment and his imprisonment, someone gave Chuck Colson C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And God used that book to open his blind eyes and to realize that he needed a savior, that he needed to confess his sins and find mercy. I did not know this until preparing this sermon, but Colson was mocked for his conversion. Newsweek, which I think is basically now defunct, and Time Magazine, which is still around but nobody reads, lampooned him and suggested that he actually was converting merely and only to reduce his prison sentence. But Colson confessed and he found mercy and he founded Prison Fellowship, which is the nation's largest ministry to prisoners and their families. God knows how to redeem people's lives from the pit even when they have been publicly humiliated on an international stage. He who confesses his sins and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's what Proverbs 28 tells us. You know, in his earthly ministry, Jesus seems to me to be a lot more focused on blasting the hypocritical religious leaders than lording it over those sinners who are really struggling. If you remember in Mark chapter 2, some religious officials had real problems with the company that Jesus was keeping at a meal. And Jesus heard them and said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You are a sinner. And so you are right where you need to be because Jesus came to call sinners. That means he came to call you and he came to call me. Do you want to know what true flourishing is? The first step is to recognize the wrongs that you have done. The path to prosperity is a humble path. It's not the path of self-glorification, but the path of contrition and confession. And we must not only confess, like Blackbeard did, but we must forsake our piratical ways and That for most of us, for most of our sins, will not be an overnight exhilarating transformation. Oh, that it would be. For most of us, it will be a long, hard slog. But by it, we bring honor to the Lord Jesus. We show him that we love him by our faithfulness to him. So will you choose prosperity or calamity? The first question is whether you will conceal your sin or confess it. 
The second is, will you honor the Lord or will you harden your heart? Will you show a holy fear, a reverence for the Lord, or will you callously ignore God's holiness and harden your heart? Now, interestingly, the word the Lord does not appear in the text, but has been added in the version that I just read, the English Standard Version. It's been added for the sake of clarity. Uh, One translation offers the following, happy the man who fears at all times. But that strikes me as an obviously bad translation, as though God wants to make cowards of us all. And furthermore, if we fear everything, we will be pretty miserable. But if we fear or reverence, that's another way to translate the word, if we reverence anything at all, then preeminently we must reverence the Lord God Almighty. And honoring the Lord, seeking the glory of the Lord is in fact the way to true prosperity. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is the first question and answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is man's chief end? End like his death? No, no, no. End as in the goal of his existence, the purpose of his life. We all want to have purpose. We all want to be able to say that our lives have meaning. And this catechism question and answer indicate what we should be doing. The chief purpose of your life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So that means that the way that I live my life in fearing the Lord is thinking about how, about whether or not what I have proposed to me for action is something that will bring glory to Jesus. If what someone suggests that I do or if what I think I should be doing is upon reflection going to bring dishonor to Christ, then I know I cannot do that. I must not do that. And living that way brings blessedness. The word blessed, um, I didn't check, but usually the word blessed is actually literally it's happinesses. Um, You know, you're happy and then it's just your overflowing with happiness. And even in miserable circumstances, truly horrible circumstances, there are people who honor the Lord, who have a deep and inexpressible joy for all that the Lord has given them, for all that the Lord has done for them. By contrast, they're people who harden the heart, their hearts, right? They're, they're people that if they think about honoring God a little bit today, they'll think about honoring God even less tomorrow. 
And the scripture is clear that things will not go well for you. There could, there's a, at least in my mind, if not in the verse, there, there's a nice play here because if you harden your heart, you can fall into calamity. Uh, if you fall on something that's hard, it's worse than falling on something that's soft. Uh, if you harden your heart uh, and you fall into calamity, it could be that uh, you're really, really rigid and stiff, but the ground beneath you just melts away. Anyway, we cannot laugh at this warning, right? The pirates, if Plutarch's story is true, it's not in the Bible, so you don't have to believe it. I like it. But if Plutarch's account of Caesar and the pirates is true, then it does uh, serve as a good warning that the pirates laughed at Caesar when he brought up crucifixion. And there are people who laugh at the idea that the Lord will judge the earth. This is a uh, multi-millennial phenomenon. It didn't just happen in Fayetteville, Arkansas, that a village atheist for the first time ever said, nah, God's not going to judge the earth. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And then he comments on that. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished, referring to Noah. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The God who made the world by the word of his power has promised to judge the world and condemn the wicked. And they laugh at him, but they will not have the last laugh. God has promised and he will do it. Those who harden their hearts against the Lord will fall into calamity, even if they seem to have some kind of superficial good life now, they will be in hell forever. You know, it may be that you don't ever think of hell as being a, a comfort. I remember um, hearing a minister uh, talk about uh, a Muslim girl in London who was interested. I may have shared this story, but it's worth sharing again. A Muslim girl in London who's, who was interested in Jesus. And she had come to a Bible study um, because she really wanted to learn about Jesus. And then she never showed up again. And he found out that the reason why she did not come to the Bible study again was because her brothers told her that if, they went, if, they, if she went to, to the Bible study, that is to learn about Jesus ever again, then they would beat her. And as, his, as he told me that, his comment hung in the air, and then he said, they are on 
the express train to hell. Quite right. It's a sober thought. I'd love for them and for her to get off the train, but we cannot be easygoing when the Bible is clear. Now, I do want to say one thing here at the end for those who are soft of heart, that it's true that if you harden your heart, you'll fall into calamity. But it isn't true that if you have fallen into calamity, it's because you've hardened your heart. That inference is illegitimate. So forgive me as I philosophize. If it's a square, then you know it's four-sided. But if it's four-sided... It doesn't mean that it's a square. It could be a rectangle. It could be, a, is a trapezoid four-sided? Yeah, it could be a trapezoid. So too, if you harden your heart, you'll fall into calamity. But that doesn't mean that if you fall into calamity, it's because you've hardened your heart. After all, you could live in Tornado Alley. You could live on a fault line. We live in a fallen world. You could have a horrible family member or a bad coworker. Right, so the warning is don't harden your heart. The warning is not if you've fallen into calamity, then you should begin a big task of introspection to try to search your, the memory of your soul to figure out where it is that you went wrong. Don't do that. Don't do that. When you can... When the Lord brings to mind your sin, confess it. Confess it. But you do not have to assume, and in fact, you should not assume, that all the hardship of this life is due to your hardness of heart. The Apostle Paul says at the end of 2 Corinthians 4, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He doesn't say, for our light and momentary troubles have helped us realize that we have hard hearts. So be encouraged uh, and don't despair. Okay, so in conclusion, the question, prosperity or calamity? Two diagnostic questions to determine the answer to that main question. The first is conceal or, or confess. Will you conceal your sins or will you confess and forsake them and find forgiveness? Answer that question in your heart now. The second question, honor or harden? Will you honor the Lord or will you harden your heart? And it may be that if you're honest, you'll say it's kind of 50-50. Well, those parts where you are honoring the Lord, fan them into flames, but starve and break the hardness of heart. Cry out to the Lord that he may rescue you from yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want everyone hearing me now to be a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. God, prosper us. Prosper us by making us 
fulfill our proper purpose in life, to thirst for and long for and increase the glory of Christ. And may we have delight and joy in Jesus alone. And it's in your strong and powerful name we pray. Amen.